Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. The Kidley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, but Kidley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we're talking about the linebackers. Um, so, if you're a member of DNVR, that means you get access to all the written content at thednvr.com. Um, we're starting the season preview series, which is basically where I take, like, honestly, like two or maybe three days and just go back through all my notes about every position, go back and watch stuff and look at all the stats, do all sorts of different things, and then put it into a story. Um, obviously, inside linebackers is done. Um, next up is going to be running backs. I'm what? I think I'm like 1,200 words in. I think I wrote like 600 words just about who the goal line back is going to be. Um you know, going back, finding some quotes, finding some, all that stuff. Uh, if you're looking for, like, a, a time to become a DMVR member, we're starting to get into the season. Content is starting to uh, to, to start popping, honestly. Um, and that starts this week. Along with all of the stories, I'm also going to be recording these podcasts, um, which, you know, I might leave out a couple details to get you to stay. Honestly, like, the best part about the preview series is that it's it's like a reference. So if you ever wonder like, so so what's up at this position? What's up? you can just look back and see it all. Um they're all a little bit different. Like I said, there's like about the goal line back in that running backs one. There's gonna be a bunch about a bunch of other stuff. But for the linebackers, for example, there's just a lot of new faces that you need to know. Um and so we're going to talk about some of those new guys from Robert Barnes to Jack Lamb and almost kind of start at the beginning with each of them. You know, we've talked about Robert Barnes. We've talked about Jack Lamb, but it was months ago, and since then we've kind of gotten some new information and all that kind of stuff. Um, and because the season's right around the corner, or at least fall camp is, it's really a fall camp preview because... You don't really know what's going to happen in fall camp. That's why, from a media perspective, it's so interesting. Like, we didn't go into last year knowing what Jarek Broussard was going to be, who everybody talks about every day, and then you look at what happened. Um, who else were kind of some of the stars of camp? Um, I guess I think Josh Gustav probably fits into that category, but he didn't break out the way Jarek did. Obviously, nobody does. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the plan is get everything previewed, go through all the big storylines, and uh, like I said, there's a podcast for each of them. This is the podcast that's going to go along with that inside linebacker's position. Um, again, go through some of the details, go through some of the big picture stuff, um, and just get set for fall camp, which I guess we don't have a start date yet, but today's June 30th, and I think 2019, um, obviously the last year there was a normal schedule. The camp started on August 3rd. And I'd guess that that's going to be about the same time this year, uh, given that the season starts at about the same time. Um, so, again, no official date, but we're about a month out, and that means we got to get moving through all this stuff. Before we actually dig into the inside linebackers, though, I want to tell you guys a little bit about the presenting sponsor of this podcast, Colorado Rugby. Oh, and plug something else, too. Uh, so, if you guys jump over into the DNVR Rugby podcast feed just today, a podcast went up. It was me, it was Colton Strickler, the DMVR rugby guy, and Justin Michael, the DMVR CSU Rams guy. Um, we went through and drafted 
rugby sevens teams using Colorado football players. Actually, not even just football players, all sports. Um, it was a lot of fun, just a snake draft, obviously. So rugby sevens is with seven players. That's why they call it that. Um, but it's like a speed game because there aren't as many people out there. There's still obviously some other stuff, but, you know, we ran through. I'll spoil the first round. My, I had the first overall pick, and I took Rashawn Salam. I feel good about it. But to be honest, I just wish I had that third pick because there's some good options, and I'd rather have, like, two of those top guys because, you know, Visco went second. And I don't want to spoil too much, but it was it was fun to talk about, and uh, you can tell us how bad our drafts were. Uh, if you guys want to go check that out. Again, it's in the DMVR Rugby podcast feed, which you should be checking out occasionally anyway. Okay. Um, where to start with the inside linebackers? What a dumb question. That's probably the dumbest question I've ever started. You, you, you said. Uh, you start with Nate Landman. Uh, Nate is a stud. And... Obviously, the big question is the the Achilles injury. What is he going to be this year? And to be totally honest, I think that he is going to be every bit of himself. It's just so tough to imagine what Nate looks like when he isn't every bit of himself. You know, I know that I should probably be more worried about him. And I'll, I'll like be knocking on wood all the way through all this, so don't worry about that. But I know I should be more worried about him because he's coming off an Achilles injury that he he had, I think, was it December 5th? I think that was the date of the Utah game, um, December 5th. And the Buffs have, a, have their season opener August 29th, I want to say. So that's what? Less than four months. Like three, or sorry, uh, I did it the other way. So like eight months, nine months. Nine months or so from the injuries when he's supposed to play again. That's not very long coming off an Achilles tear. But it's Nate Landman, and and what we've heard has been good. Um, we haven't heard all that much. The coaches throughout camp were saying things like they're optimistic he's going to get back, and, and there's been generally just like good vibes about the whole thing um, since Fall camp, or spring camp, sorry, when when the coaches were talking about it. Uh, he did an interview during the uh, CU Spring Showcase. I think that was just a few days after he told reporters, uh, us. Actually, he didn't tell us. He told the people who asked him um, from the CU staff, like, hey, want to come do this interview? It's your day. They want to talk to you. He said, uh, I don't want to talk about a spring that I wasn't a part of. And... You know, again, from my perspective, I would have loved to ask questions like, so where are you in the recovery? What are the doctors saying? Blah, blah, blah. And so we don't have all of the, the best details. Again, though, it's Nate Landman. Stories like that just kind of add to his appeal in terms of his personality. So, again, how hard do you knock him? I honestly don't knock him all that hard at all. But, like I said, he did do that interview with the Pac-12 Network during the CU Spring Showcase and when he did that interview, he basically said he's he's about 90-95%. I don't believe him. Um, I don't. But the fact that he can say something like that, whatever it was, four months after, five months after the injury, that's certainly a good sign. Um... The rest of the quote, you know, he actually did say, you know, that the last 10, or I guess what, 5-10% is the toughest part of the recovery. That's where things slowed down. And he said, you know, things were going really fast. Now they've kind of started to slow down. But then he said, I'm excited to be back healthy come summer. All indications are that Nate Landman's going to be good to go this season. Again, I'll knock on wood again. Been doing that a lot. Don't worry about it. Um, but that's kind of the update there with the best information that we have. Um, so, yeah, there's that situation. Um, again, does he come back and, and maybe he's a, a step slower, a little bit less explosive? I'm, again, I'm not 
too worried about it. And maybe that's something I could totally be wrong, but it feels like if you're able to get back out there and play, you shouldn't lose too much explosiveness from an Achilles. Um, so yeah, there's the injury situation. On top of that, you know, what is Nate Landman? He's one of the three best inside linebackers in the country. Um, I, I say one of the three best because there might be somebody out there who's right up there with him. He could absolutely be the best linebacker in the country. Now, at the same time, when you look at the draft prospect rankings, they're going to say he's the fifth best or the seventh best. Why? Because he doesn't have the lateral agility, the lateral movement skills that you want in like your dream inside linebacker. That's fine, though. That's fine. Because the coverage ability in college football is not nearly as important as it is in the NFL. Um, there, there's so many different ways that you can compensate for that, and you don't have the same just straight-up matchup nightmares that you can get in the NFL. You know, it, 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 Obviously, in the NFL, you're getting how many tight ends drafted every season. Like, Let's say there's 10 that get drafted, three who are actually any good. But they stay in the league for 10 years, and those three, they become 30 at a time. And there's 32 teams, and basically every team has a high-level tight end. There are some that don't if you look around, but, you know, you there's, there's what, Travis Kelsey's and Gronk's and Darren Waller's and all these different guys who are so hard to cover, whereas in the college game... First of all, they're very spread out across the entire country. And on top of that, they're not at the peak of their powers. You know, tight end is one of the positions that takes the longest, I think, to, to really hone in your ability. And it's for a bunch of different reasons. Some of it is just that playing that position requires a lot of physical strength. And when you're talking about NFL-type football players, or just football players in general, they're probably the strongest like when they're 28, 29, and, and it might even build from there. It could be that when you're 32, 33, you're, you're even stronger. Um, so much of the technique of the route running, uh, the, 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 the fact that you have to learn to do so many different things, it just means that it takes a while to develop. When you look around the Pac-12, how many tight ends really scare you? You know, Brant Keithy down at Utah, there's one, there's probably a couple more around. But there's very few that you look at and say, okay, we need somebody who can lock him down. You know, there might be guys who say, I wish we had a guy who just took away the tight end because they're always coming up with two, three, four catches a game. But in college football, that's more the world you live in. It's rare that you run into like a Kyle Pitts who's a consistent receiving threat that is just going to cause problems if nobody can cover him. Um and, and, again, there's a lot of reasons why coverage ability isn't as important for linebackers in college football as it is in the NFL, but that's one of them. Um, and, and because of that, the fact that Nate isn't at the top of the draft boards because there are some holes in his game, it doesn't matter all that much. Because you look at what he does, what, what he's asked to do, he does it all really well. Um, obviously what, what he really excels at is playing the run game. He, he reads plays. He, he honestly, what he does is he reads what's going on at the line of scrimmage faster than the running back does. And he knows where the running back is going. You know, you can go back and if, if you just stare at Nate Landman on running plays, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, there's times where a defensive lineman gets pushed in the backfield and, you know, he's not, like, free running in, trying to tackle somebody, but he's pushing the offensive lineman back. And Nate will just kind of, like, follow him back there. And all of a sudden, the offensive lineman kind of turns him one way. That means that, like, if if the running back goes to the right, maybe that means the, the defensive lineman is able to peel off and grab him. Nate reads all of that stuff and says, here's where he has to go, and then he's there. You know, you look at the tackle for loss numbers, and that's where a lot of that comes from because he's reading what's happening faster than the running back does. 
Um, on top of that, you know, he, he moves better than I think he's given credit for when moving forward. I think that because he can be a little bit stiff going side to side or, or backward for sure, people think that he's worse going forward. But that first step quickness is absolutely there. And that's really important for that position. Um, he gets downhill fast. He knows how to tackle. I think what he missed two tackles all last season, and he was making a lot of tackles. They were loud, though. When you think back, like, I remember one of them, I guess. I'm trying to remember the other, but there was one that was just like a straight-up whiff. It was like on the left side. Uh, he was moving to his right, I guess. The running back was moving to his left. It might have even been like a screen pass, but that was just a straight-up whiff. But but that's the thing about Nate is that you remember the missed tackles because they're so rare. Um, he does a lot of things really well. Again, like I said, it starts with that running game. It starts with being able to get in the backfield and make plays, but there's plenty more too. I think that it's easy to look at the cover skills and say, which again, maybe now's the time to say this. It's not like he's bad in coverage. He's pretty average for a, a college linebacker. I think that if you if you watched a bunch of college football and just locked in on linebackers on every single snap, Nate, in terms of coverage, comes in right around middle of the pack. And I think that there's potentially gets even better. Uh, I think that there's, obviously, that's that's got to be the thing he's working on most. Well, I guess that's not true. Fixing the Achilles is going to be what he's working on most, um, recovering and rehab and all that stuff. Uh, if he does have time, you know, some of that's, a lot of it, honestly, is just mental and positioning. You know, reading the quarterback's eyes, which, because... He has the instincts that he does in the run game. You'd think that that would kind of translate. It's just something that doesn't come quite as naturally. Um, and I wonder why that is. You know, there's the rugby background for sure. You know, he was born in Zimbabwe because his dad was a professional rugby player. Um, I don't know that Nate played much rugby. I don't think I've ever asked him. Um so I'm not sure how much of an impact that has. Obviously, like that that mentality though goes a long way in his game. You can see it, even in the way he tackles. You can see it. Um, but just becoming more natural in coverage is is very much possible. Um, and it's not like he's just falling apart back there. Um, he's he's solid. He's average. Um, what I wanted to say though is that just because he isn't an incredible cover linebacker doesn't mean he can't be a, a good three-down linebacker who's good on all three downs. Um, you know, on third down in particular, obviously that's the passing down, there's plenty that he can do. Uh, he is a very good blitzer. Uh, I believe, I'm pulling the staff at the top of my head, but I believe he had 47 pass rush attempts last year, which for him are obviously just kind of blitzes up the middle more often than not. He caused 10 pressures. He got in the quarterback's face 10 times and made things difficult. He had four sacks, and he played in five games. He, he played in four and a half games. Those are, those are really good edge rusher numbers. You know, that's something that you look at, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau out in Oregon, a true pass rusher, somebody who's going to be uh, a top five pick because he just rushes the edge. He can beat the tackle and get to the quarterback. That is what he does. And if he gets you a sack per game, you are happy with that. You are happy with the best pass rusher in the country giving you a sack per game. Would you want a little bit more? Yeah, but but that's like, that's the bonus stuff. That's the icing. You know, I, I think what? Vaughn Miller in the NFL... I don't think he's had an 18 or a 16 sack season. He's definitely gotten close, but again, that's kind of the barometer for pass rushers, I think is is about a sack per game, and Nate had 4 in 5 games, and he left the 5th game early with injuries. So, if you have that up the middle, and I wrote this in the story too, like the pass rush last year took a huge step forward. And there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. You look to Carson Wells. You look to what Mustafa did, uh, too. Um, a, a bunch of those guys really contributed. Nate Landman's contributions to that pass rush should not be ignored. He was getting the hurries. He was getting the sacks. 
and he was drawing attention to help those other guys out. I think that because he can do those things, because he can rush the passer the way that he can, honestly, like if you're looking at things from an NFL perspective, there's more there than, you know, usually you look at a guy like Nate uh, or how people see Nate, a really good tackling linebacker, you know, field general type, but not the best in coverage. Somebody who'd probably take off the field on third downs and say, okay, that's a, that's a third round guy. That's a third round guy. You know, he's he's in that in the late starter range. He's he's going to be a starting linebacker for a team, but he's going to have his weaknesses, and we're going to have to cover for those. I think that that's the wrong box to put Nate in, uh, because he, like I said, has that blitzing ability, the the pass rushing ability that comes with that, which is so valuable. Um, and, and I think that this is a big year for him in that regard as well. I think that if you're Nate Landman, you know what's going on. You know what people are saying. Like, basically what I said, why he's a third-round guy. You're looking at this saying, okay, I want to get better in coverage. I want to prove that I can cover. But also, I want to prove that I can blitz. Because if I can really do this, you know, it doesn't need to be a sack-per-game pace but if he comes out of this season with five sacks, that's a good season. And if he comes out of this with eight sacks, then you're saying, wow, this guy is, is useful in a lot of ways. Useful on every down. There is something that he can do, and we'll be excited about it. Um, and, you know, for him personally, the NFL is what you look at and the goals that you set and the, the the steps you try to take in terms of developing your game, you look at how that impacts your value to the NFL. From a team perspective, obviously, the, the goals are different, but I do think that those have to be the things that Nate for himself is focusing on. Again, as a linebacker in college football, you don't get much better because, like I said, there is something for him to do on every down, and when you're talking about college tight ends, there just aren't nearly as many of those mismatched type of guys as you see in the NFL. So I think that that's basically all I have to say about Nate. Um, again, he's he's getting a bunch of recognition this year, just like he did last year, and as he should. Um, I think that he should be a preseason first-team All-American. I think that if he plays the way we expect him to play, obviously he should be a, a, a postseason first-team All-American too. He should be in that Buckus Award conversation. And to be honest, just being a finalist again this year would be disappointing. You know, he's done that before. You know, it's kind of like talking about the Nuggets. Every year they take one step forward from the time that they won like 39 games to winning five more than that to making the playoffs to winning a playoff series to winning two and then this year not happening. But, you know, if you look at Nate in that same way, you say, hey, you were a Buckus finalist last year. It's time to go win it. You know, so there's there's what's up with Nate, um, at least in my mind. I, I Again, I think that he is one of the best of the best. He's playing the most important position, I think, in a college defense. Um, and... We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully he's ready to go at the start of fall camp, and it's just smooth sailing from there. Um, again, you gotta wait and see though. Uh, let's take a quick break here. Then we'll get into some other stuff. Um, you know, talking about what it, who are the guys who could start next to Nate, um, and also. What are you looking for in a starter next to Nate Landman? First, though, uh, let's let's get this break out of the way. Uh, give a shout-out to our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Let's see. I was out on the golf course today. I don't think I had anything from Breckenridge. It is a little bit tougher to find up here. But, lucky for me, the Breckenridge Beer Locator will have me covered. Let's actually see. Where is the nearest place that I can get myself a Strawberry Sky. 
What I just did while I was saying that, I typed brackbrew.com into uh, my browser, told the good people over there that I am 21, and then went to the beer locator. Um, now, I am clicking on... Oh, there's a lot of options. They make a lot of beers. Okay, so Breckenridge Strawberry Sky. There it is at any location within... 50 miles, and then I put in the zip code of where I am in Montana. It is searching. It is not within 50 miles. Let's try 100 miles. Not within 100 miles. So that's disappointing and a terrible example. Uh, but you're probably not in the middle of nowhere. You know, 50 miles, that just gets you into Canada. And I guess they don't have it up there. Let's try another one. Let's try... Avalanche Amber Ale, that'll definitely be around. So there's 100 miles, everything else all the same. Oh, so many options. And the nearest is, oh, there it is, 7.6 miles away. And also, another one, Also, that's also 7.6 miles, just on a different, what are the odds of that? Okay, so that's how it works. You guys can do the same thing, and if you buy anything from Breckenridge Brewery, not just from them, but like you go to a bar, you pick a Breckenridge beer, Whatever they get from that, 1% goes to the National Parks Conservation Association. It's a cool thing they're doing with all of their profits all summer, giving them to uh, the good people over there. Uh, so definitely make sure that you are supporting them. Also, Solace Meds. Um... I've told you all about them before. They've got a bunch of different deals. Um, it's about... Yeah, it's it's the end of the last day of June, so we don't need to go through all those deals. But I'm sure that we'll have a new list of deals here in the next couple of days. Uh, there's there's four locations in Colorado. They've got Fort Collins, Wheat Ridge, one off of Broadway, one that's just a couple blocks away from us at the DMVR bar down on East Colfax. Um, regardless of what deals they offer, and there's always some good ones, you can take an additional... 20% off your entire purchase when you use the code DMVR20 at checkout. Um, Solace Meds make your cannabis shopping experience a delight. You can head to their website, view their menu, order online, and pick up at your convenience. Just head to solacemeds.com, purchase from right there, and uh, they'll get you set to go. And again, that's code DMVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. And that like stacks with the other deals, which I'll be telling you all about here in a couple days when uh, we know what they are. All right. Uh, let's start now by talking about what the perfect fit is next to Nate. And there's a lot that goes into it. You know, obviously, if like you could just have somebody who's let's say six foot five and 260 pounds and runs a four foot or 4.2 40 yard dash and has like all the lateral agility and all that and can basically read the quarterbacks and running backs minds. Yeah, that's what you want. You want all of the very best qualities, but odds are one of the, you know, let's, let's say four or five guys who are competing for the second starting inside linebacker job. You're probably not going to find that combination of skills. So, what are you willing to give up? And here's the important thing. And this comes straight from linebacker's coach, uh, Brian Cook's mouth. There's a... There's an... Uh, what they are not willing to do... And well, Let's see. Let's just start at the beginning. So, he was asked the question um, back during... Uh, camp, uh, basically like, so the linebacker position is changing. There's a lot of things that you're being asked to do at that position now. What does that do for you in terms of like recruiting, picking out who you want to have on your team, um, in terms of development, all that kind of stuff? And he said, yeah, there, there's a bunch of skills that you need to be successful right now, but here's the most interesting quote. We still build a foundation from the ground up about backers attacking the line of scrimmage, dominating the run game, Smith said. Uh, you have to be big enough, or sorry, Cook said, uh, you have to be big enough and bad enough to be able to play downhill. So that's where it all starts. 
You know, again, if a team can run on you, they're going to run on you. It's so easy to do. Uh, you don't risk putting the ball in harm's way, that kind of stuff. You just take what the defense gives you, and if you can consistently pick up four or five yards, you're all about it. Especially, especially it is important to be able to tackle and play the run game, which is more than just tackling. Um, when you run the sort of defense that CU runs, you know, we talk a lot about the one-gap scheme and what that means for all sorts of different players, but a big piece of it is if every player is assigned one gap they have to defend, you know, if you're inside linebacker, you're between the, let's say, the center and the right guard on a given play, well, if you don't go fill that gap, there's a gap that's just wide open for the running back to take advantage of. And that's why you really need to make sure that you're getting somebody who knows where he needs to be. And I think that that is going to be the the standard for somebody just to get into the competition. You know, if you want to be the starting linebacker next to Nate, you've got to be able to be in the right place. Otherwise, you're just not even a factor in the competition. Um I think that that part can kind of get overlooked because it's so easy to look at, you know, what do we want to pair with Nate? Well, we want to pair somebody who can cover up for some of his coverage disabilities. Or, it's again, he's not, like, bad in coverage. He's just not, like, somebody you look at and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be taken away every running back, every tight end. We're just going to shut him down. All we got to worry about is outside, you know, those those crossing routes. He's going to be right there playing. No, he's not that guy. At least he, he wasn't the last time we saw him. So while you definitely like to get one of those guys out there, especially for when you do play Utah and Brant Keithy, and I'm sure there's other tight ends around too. I'm just trying to think. There there aren't any off the top of my head that really stand out. I'm sure they're out there, though. There's got to be at least one or two good ones. Um, oh, I guess you... I was thinking about the Pac-12. How about Texas A&M in week two... Uh, what is their type? Weidermeyer. Weidermeyer. Jacob Weidermeyer. That's his name. Um, so there's another right there. You'd love to have somebody who could be that guy. And then you have a nice balance. But again, it's going to start with being able to play the run game, fulfill your duties there, and then anything else you can add as a bonus, which will absolutely factor into the conversation. Um, you know, if the question is, you know, do you want somebody who you know is solid against the run? and is very good in coverage. Do you want him, or do you want somebody who's really, really, really good against the run and, you know, maybe pretty average in coverage? I think that that's a conversation they have, and to be honest, they probably switch it up week to week based on who they're playing. And I think that that's the, the good transition into, you know... Actually, here's another quote. Brian Cook saying, I challenge the entire group... I said, I don't want to go into a game and only play two or three guys. I'd love to see see five or six guys being played so we're fresh and everybody's at their best all the time. So there you go. Um, And Carl Durrell added when talking about linebackers, we try to figure out what their skill set is, what they're good at, what are the things that we want to get our guys in position to do that they're capable of performing. So again, you're you're playing players to their strengths. You're rotating them in situationally, and you know, you said get five or six guys on the field. I don't know that the rotation is going to be that deep, but I do think that there's going to be a plenty of rotation, uh, which I guess you know there's a there's a nice segue into who is going to be on the field. Um, where do we start? Let's start with these transfers. Let's get the the transfers out of the way. Um, we'll start with Robert Barnes. He's a graduate transfer, has two years of eligibility left, former five-star safety recruit, went to uh, Oklahoma. He was a starter as a sophomore at Oklahoma. Um, started 10 games then. Or no, I think he played, he started nine games then and started one more last year, if I remember right. Might have been the year before he got another start. Um, so... He kind of obviously fell out of the rotation. Played again. That was he was playing at safety during the sophomore year. Played more linebacker later on during his career. He is playing linebacker at Colorado. Now, what specific position does he play? That's what we don't really know. 
Is he going to be actually starting at inside linebacker? There's definitely the chance. But we do know that early on in camp, he was working as the money linebacker, which is basically like the sixth DB in sub packages. So you, you take off, let's say, let's say John Van Deest is the other starter. Well, Van Deest goes to the bench when you are going up against an offense that puts four or five receivers on the field or on a given play when there are four or five receivers on the field. Replace him with a Robert Barnes who may, may line up in the same place. He may, if it's man coverage, like go out and cover, whatever. The point is, those dime situations, he's the one who gets on the field. And that's where he was working. Also, um, according to Carl Durrell, he is capable of playing in the alleys, which would mean the star position. That's an, that's another step toward being a, a DB. Like, if everything's just a scale of, like, DB to linebacker, you probably go, like, cornerback, safety. You probably go cornerback, free safety, Strong safety, star, money, inside linebacker. And so there's like kind of your scale. And so we know he was working at that dime spot, which means he could probably play inside linebacker. We also know that Carl Duell thinks he could play the star. The question is, how many of these different positions can he learn? Um, at least that's my opinion. On top of that, you know, can he beat out the other players at those positions? We just have to wait and see. Um, but that versatility is there. And we've heard from Chris Wilson, you know, he, he says there isn't going to be a base defense. It's going to depend week to week on what they're going to do. I do think they're going to work just out of that three, four shell type of thing with the star position. And, you know, you change up who is that star. Is it a cornerback? Is it a safety? Is it a linebacker? You know, same thing with the, one of those inside linebacker spots, spots, basically the money spot. Is that a corner? Is that a safety? Is that And you could just put together all these different combinations to fit what you're going up against. And Robert Barnes, if things go well, he could be kind of the, the piece moving around. You know, when you're going super light, he's your inside linebacker. When you're going super heavy, he's your star. At the same time, though, I do want to say when, when we watched that spring game, saw him actually play, a spring showcase, I guess. He looks more linebackery than I expected. You know, I expected him to look more like that hybrid type of player, um, which, again, I'm not saying he can't play that role, but I do think that he is a linebacker, uh, and I think that that's just, like, a fact about him at this point. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anything else worth noting? You know, 78 tackles at Oklahoma. I think only one of them for a loss, maybe. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, four pass breakups, a couple interceptions, a forced fumble. Um, but you have to remember, he's playing at Oklahoma. So the fact that he wasn't getting on the field, you know, you don't love it. You'd like it a lot better if he had started, whatever, 36 games in his three seasons there and put up crazy numbers and all that. But at the same time, you know you're getting somebody from the transfer portal. And again, at least he's transferring from Oklahoma, and he's not transferring here from whatever Cal State, whatever actually plays football school, you know? Um, at the same time, he played in important games, too. Uh, the forced fumble was against Texas in the Big 12 championship game. A game they won, by the way. So, what is that worth compared to, you know, we saw Colorado play Texas and I think they would have loved to have forced another fumble in that game. And that game wasn't the same as like a Big 12 championship game. Um, also, he had three tackles in a game against Alabama, a college football playoff semifinal game. Again, three tackles isn't all that impressive, but he got hurt pretty early in the second quarter. So maybe he would have gotten, who knows, 30 tackles. Probably not, but again... The big game experience, the fact that he's transferring some from somewhere where you expect to have really high level competition to get on the field, it's a it's it's a good sign. Um, Jack Lamb, another graduate transfer. This one from Notre Dame. Uh, while he is a graduate transfer, he has three years of eligibility left. So. 
there's plenty of you know time for him to be the guy. You know, if he goes through, wins this job, he could be holding that job down, obviously, for three more years. Here's his story. Um, Rivals said that he was the number two inside linebacker in the country in the 2018 recruiting class, uh, decided, obviously, to go to Notre Dame. And in his redshirt freshman season, he played in the dime package. So that would basically be, you know, that that money position. He was in that that package in that role for Notre Dame. Um, he had a hip injury, though. Um, when was that? That was in November of that season. Um, so he, he had time to play. Uh, he was out there doing his job well enough to not get benched for at least a couple of months. Uh, the coach, I think that was Kelly at the time, Brian Kelly, said that that was a career-threatening injury, a career-threatening hip injury, so not not something to be taken lightly. Uh, again, the end of the season, he came back the next season. He didn't get that job back as the money linebacker, or whatever they call it up there. And he wound up playing special teams, and he was actually a really good special teams player for them. There's something. Um, And that was the 2020 season for him. So, there's obviously, like, a lot to like. Former five-star, he's, like, 6'4", 230. He's he's played a a cover type of role before. Um, And in that reason, or, or in... Because of that, you would think, yeah, that's somebody who you're intrigued by when you're talking about putting somebody next to Nate Landman, um, who, you know, you want him to be blitzing. You want to have somebody who's dropping in coverage so that he doesn't have to. Um, Again, there just isn't too much to be known about him. I think it's noteworthy that Robert Barnes was here for spring ball and has been playing quite a bit because, again, we're talking about somebody who could fit into a variety of different roles. You know, we talk about Robert Barnes being, is he just a true inside linebacker? Is he a money linebacker? Is he a star? Well, he has to learn all those positions, and both the inside linebacker positions are different too. Jack Lamb also, you know, I'm not sure that he has the star versatility, he he definitely could, um, but he does have the mon- the versatility to play the money position to play those inside linebacker spots, and he hasn't had a chance to do it yet. So that definitely makes it a little bit tougher for him. Obviously, um, again, just kind of an unknown at this point, but an unknown who a lot of people saw a lot of potential in just a couple of years ago. Um, could he just be kind of done because of the hip? It's possible. He also could have just taken a little bit of time to recover, and now he's going to be everything people had hoped he'd be. Um, so definitely somebody to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, let's jump in and talk about the linebackers who have been on campus. We'll uh, we'll start at the top of the depth chart here with John Van Deest. So John Van Deest was the starter to start the 2019 season. I think he played... Was it four games he started, five games he started, something right around there? And then Akil Jones wound up taking that starting job. Akil held that job for the rest of the season, started, let's just call it all last season, and then after the season, decided to transfer. Uh, looks like he's still in the transfer portal. I'm, I'm, I'm 95% confident he is still in the transfer portal, but. You know, it, it could be that he transferred somewhere and the news just never quite got out. So, obviously, that's that's the job that is now open. Uh, Akil did miss a game last year. John stepped up and started in his place. I think he registered a start for that one. I'm actually not sure they did register a start, but he was the one who filled that role. Um, he was kind of that number three inside linebacker on the depth chart last year. Uh, and same thing when Nate went down. Um, behind him, by the way, it was him, and then it was Quinn Perry, and then it was Marvin Ham. 
things might have shifted a little bit. It really didn't look like they ever did when you go through the snap counts. But in terms of just pure snap counts, that's what the depth chart was. Um, so there we go. I feel like there's there's your history there. 6'1", 230 pounds. What is he as a football player, though? Um, to me, I, I think it's easy to work off of the similarities to Nate. You know, I think that the mold is the same in terms of the, the style of player. You know, he's a run-stuffing type. He's not somebody you look at as just a cover guy, um, as a cover guy, really. Um, but, again, somebody who plays the run game well, really understands his assignment, will be in the right place, won't give up big plays, um, and kind of can go out there and get the job done. So there's kind of the starting point. Um, you look at where you want him improved to kind of take that next step and become, you know, to, to be the guy that's going to win the starting job. There's really two ways I think that he could improve. Um, and I think there's reason to be excited that one of them will happen. First of all, the easy one, the coverability. You know, like I said earlier in this podcast, there's a couple of different types that you could kind of be torn between. Do you want somebody who's just a rock star playing the run game, is blowing things up in the backfield, but maybe struggles just a little bit in coverage? Or do you want the guy who's solid in the run game, isn't going to get caught out of position, isn't just going to blow his assignment, but is a rock star in the cover game? I don't know. But if John were to take those steps in coverage and become kind of that cover linebacker type, he already provides enough in terms of the running game to get on the field. Um, I I think that that's the less likely route, though, um, just in terms of what I've seen. I think what's more likely is that he can add just a little bit more explosiveness when it comes to going downhill. You know, right now... He isn't screwing up or anything, but when he makes a tackle, he's going to make a tackle a yard or two downfield. You know, I think he has a tackle for loss, one in his career, and I'm pretty sure that it was a sack. Um, So again, unlike Nate, who gets into the backfield, brings him down, creates havoc back there, that just hasn't been what John has done to this point. Now, here's the thing. He is somebody who had a whole lot of reps this spring because of injuries and other things that were going on. I think there were really only three linebackers who were rotating through for a lot of the spring. Him, Quinn Perry, and Marvin Ham. The other two guys we're going to talk about later on. He was the one who kind of took on like the, the calling the plays role. Filled in for Nate, you know, being the guy who's out there saying who's lined up in the right spot. All that kind of stuff. That is big. But what I think is even bigger is just getting all those reps. You know, when you talk about how do you get in the backfield more, the big thing is understanding where to go. You know, with Nate, he isn't really gambling to get into the backfield. He knows where the running back is going to go. He's hitting the hole. He's getting back there. And he's taking him out before the running back gets to the line of scrimmage. John's the type of guy who I think could be diagnosing plays like that. And I think that taking all those snaps during spring ball is only going to help when it comes to his football instincts, which weren't bad or anything. But, you know, if if we're, we're comparing to Nate Landman, they weren't on that level. So, there is one reason to get excited. On top of that, you have the fact that he's been working with a speed coach uh, for for this whole offseason. Actually, I haven't heard whether that kept going through the summer, but for the offseason up until the end of spring camp. What does that mean? Well, if it's working, that could be that, that little bit more explosion when going downhill, which, again, I'm not sure that that was f- like a, a physical thing so much as a reading and reacting super quickly thing. And and in re- all reality, it's probably just a blend of both. Um, again, just want to say, it's not like he has bad instincts. And he certainly doesn't have a bad football IQ. It's just that 
there's room for improvement to take the game to the next level, and that's one of the ways that that could happen. Um, there's also uh, the, the fact that the speed training could help in coverage. You know, a lot of coverage is moving back. We're moving side to side, and I'm guess, guessing, like, the speed coach isn't only working on you moving straight ahead. That would be kind of a silly thing to do. Um, but there's kind of the, the John Van Deest rundown. Um, plenty to like. I think that as of right now, he's kind of like the safe option. Robert Barnes, what are you going to get from him? Who knows? Jack Lamb, really who knows? John Van Deest, he's going to be able to do his job. You know that you have somebody who's going to be able to do his job. How much above and beyond the requirements of the job are you going to get? You know, kind of just have to wait and see. All right. Um, next up, we are going to Quinn Perry. So, like I said, he was kind of the linebacker number four right behind Van Deest. Like Van Deest, plenty of reps this spring. He's somebody who needed those reps a little bit more. He comes from a rugby background, was on a bunch of the U.S. youth national teams. I think most recently he was on the U.S. U-20 team before that, like U-18, U-17, U-16, all that stuff. Um, he also went to JUCO for a couple of years. And we talked to him, let's see, was that? It was either this spring or during the fall. And he said, you know, that I think it was during fall camp. He said the toughest part about going from JUCO to Colorado uh, was learning the playbook. It's a really big playbook. And to be honest, you know, you could see it in the couple of times he got on the field. You know, I was, when I was going through all this stuff, I just searched in my notes page everybody's name that I was writing about and just reading about what I'd written at the time. And you go back to, I think it was the Arizona game, I'd written, you know, he got in, he missed his assignment in the running game, the running back got by him, it was a pretty big run, and it was caused mostly by a missed assignment from Quinn. Now, again, he's somebody who came from JUCO. Uh, that that was actually a second season, but without a real off season. And I'm actually not sure when he got on campus. I think there's a good chance that he went two years at JUCO, went to CU over the summer, had fall camp and the first season, didn't have spring ball, didn't have a real fall camp, and then got into that second season um, as a junior, and he'll be a junior again this year. So that is not obviously the easiest path to get adapted to Power 5 football. Uh, you could totally see him having a, a good spring, which I think there were reports that things went well. Um, and then kind of, you know, can he parlay that into a good fall? And win the starting job, and that's absolutely on the table. You know, I think it's we'll get to Marvin Ham in a second. Who, what is he going to be a sophomore this year? Let me double check this. He's still a redshirt freshman. It's just so tough to believe that when they've been on campus for as long as they have. You know, somebody who is, I guess, what going into his third year. It would be easier to say, hey, he's going to surpass the guy in front of him on the depth chart than like a junior passing a junior. Now, is that how things work? Not really, but it's something you look at when you talk about these things. Um, so, yeah, Quinn Perry, still pretty raw. A lot of physical tools you like. You like the rugby background. Um, bigger guy. Uh, how tall is he? Let's see. 6'2", 240. Uh, moves well. I think moves a lot like a rugby player. Just very fluid. Things look natural when he goes side to side. Um, that, I didn't see him go backwards all that much. But he does seem like somebody who should be decent in coverage. Um, yeah. I think that that's... Uh, that's a lot of my thoughts. Any other snaps? Um, worth noting, here we go. Um, didn't get in against UCLA, but in the Buffs' second game last year against Stanford, he played he played 12 snaps. All of them he was in pass coverage. So, what does that tell you? 
Well, I mean, it could just be by chance. Could be just 12 random plays, 12 random second downs out there. And on all of those second downs, just happened to be that the offense threw the ball instead of running. More likely, though, uh, in in passing situations, playing a coverage role intentionally, um, which is something you keep in mind. Um, in that game, by the way, didn't give up a catch, only targeted once. Again, what does that mean? It could mean that he was playing lockdown coverage, and that's why the running back or the quarterback didn't throw at him. Without going back and watching, though, you don't really know whether it's that or whether it's because, you know, in theory, there could just be wide receivers open 20 yards downfield that, of course, you throw it to them instead. Um, that's the issue with just numbers alone, especially on a 12-snap sample size. Um, didn't see the field again until three weeks later. Uh, that was when Akil missed that Arizona game with the injury. Um, and, you know, that's the one we talked about. You know, there were some missed assignments. Uh, I, I say that there was like a blown coverage on a wheel route. I think the ball got dropped, and so it didn't really matter, but it's something you see. So, again, Quinn Perry, talented. I think that when you look at him physically, there's there's plenty to be excited about. It's just piecing together the other parts of the game. And if he does that, again, had a lot more snaps than you'd expect anybody to have during a spring ball. The first spring of his career at CU, again, somebody who could absolutely take that next step. One more. Let's do one more. Um, we're going to go Marvin Ham the second. So he was kind of that number four guy on the depth chart. Uh, I think somebody had him as a four-star recruit. The composite had him as a three-star. Um, and this is, this is a tougher one just because we really haven't seen him as much. Even with Quinn Perry, didn't see him all that much either. At least there was some sort of sample size. Um, I want to say he played like three snaps total on defense, so really just nothing to go off of. But we can say this. He's supposed to be more of a cover guy. He's he's pretty speedy. Um, he could absolutely carve out a role as the money or as like a bigger star. But again, like I said, he's a redshirt freshman. Odds are he's still a season away, especially with all these other guys competing for the job. You know, again, you've got Robert Barnes, who has played at a high level before. You've got Jack Lamb, who's, what, I guess 18. So he was on, so 2018 season he was at Notre Dame. 19, 20. So he's been there for three years. So he's actually the same age as Marvin Ham. Because with Marvin, you have freshman, redshirt freshman, and then redshirt freshman again. Oh, but that's this year. So so there we go. So Jack Lamb, one more year in a Power 5 football program. Except not really because it's an independent school. What do you even call that? Basically a Power 5 program. Um, then obviously John Van Deest, who's been out there before, has done it before, has proven that he can be a solid option. Quinn Perry, who has upside um, and is also, you know, and in front of Marvin on the depth chart, you know. So I think that the odds are very slim that Marvin Ham wins the starting job this year. But next year you start to get excited. Um, and you probably get excited because you saw him play situationally this year. You know, when you're saying we want to go five or six guys deep, well, one's Nate. And let's say you've got, let's say the two transfers and... John Van Deest. So that gets you up to four. And five or six, that means Quinn Perry, Marvin Ham. There you go. Uh, there's definitely a path. Um, again, extra reps just like Quinn Perry, just like John Van Deest. We'll see what he can do. We'll see what he can do. Okay, we'll, we'll do one more. I just I changed my mind. Uh, Mr. Williams, he was a true freshman last year. 
Uh, he uh, played some special teams, had three tackles against Stanford. Uh, an exciting recruit, somebody who the coaches compared to Robert Barnes in, in terms of the type of player he is. Again, he's going into his second year. Linebacker is a position where you got to be big, you got to be physical. You know, Brian Cook even said that in this uh, about this group earlier this year. Um, maybe Mr. Williams is at the point where he is ready to be that guy. More likely, though, it's going to be at least a year. And, you know, if we're saying Marvin Ham, probably two years, you probably say about. Or probably one year from Marvin Hammer, probably saying probably two years from Mr. Williams. It'd be an upset for him to get a real role on this team this season, but it's definitely possible, especially given that you know you've got Nate Lamon out there, and I think that they will be looking for cover guys at least occasionally, and he fits that role. Okay, that's gonna do it for today. Those were basically all my thoughts about the inside linebackers. So there you go. If you want a little bit more, you can check out the website. Um, I pulled a lot of this from my notes, but there's definitely more in there uh, that I think is interesting at least. Plus, you know, there's videos of Nate Lamont. There's an example of, you know, a, a blown assignment and why you can't have that in this scheme. So check that out if you want. And uh, if you don't, no judgment here. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys tomorrow.